Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. Welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb, and with me today is the wonderful Andrea Andrich. Now, Andrea is somebody who has been working with the Beyond Sleep Training Project group now for... I think it would be three years, Andrea, since she started volunteering for us. Probably in the vicinity of between three and four, I think. My goodness, mate. And so Andrea is one of our beautiful volunteers. She has been supporting members in the group, but she's also worked with us on our social media pages and um, helped get websites up and done all sorts of wonderful things for the project. So we're very grateful for her work. And I'm super excited to have her on as a guest on the show to share a little bit about the sleep journey for her family and especially that we can actually get her because she's one busy lady. But she is currently just at the very beginning of maternity leave as she prepares to welcome her second baby. So welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. (laughs) I'm just glad we finally got you on the show. Now, tell us a little bit about your family and how did you think you were going to handle sleep with your baby before you actually had your very first bump? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's actually the thing I didn't even think about. (laughs) So I think that was part of the kind of um, shock and uh, trying to figure out as a new parent what's going on, what's normal. Um, my personal experience, so um, my background is Eastern European um, and I think sleep training hasn't quite got a hold on that part of the world yet. It, it is a little bit more now that, you know, there is the internet and all of that and people are kind of looking for resources. But I actually... Um, bed shared with my parents until until I got my own room and it was more more circumstantial just because we didn't have a big house to live in and you know a lot of people in different parts of the world will kind of will tend to be in one in one space um but I think my mum also just is really enjoyed it and is also like a really affectionate and caring person and loved the snuggles and, and stuff like that. So so that was kind of my experience of what I thought would happen when I eventually had children. Um, I did obviously, you know, as you know, when you're pregnant, people are giving you advice, you read all these pamphlets, you're trying to kind of read all these books. But to be perfectly honest with you, I think because it was my first, I was so focused on the pregnancy, I was so focused on the labour, I really didn't think that much about the breastfeeding and the sleep and everything that came after. So one of the things that I I guess I just was seeking to find um, when my son was very young, like a newborn, I was like, what is normal? You know, what is within the realms of how much should he be sleeping or uh, where should he be sleeping? And I, I remember the first visit we had from the maternal health nurse and she was like, oh, I just need to make sure that he's got like a cot that he's going to sleep in. And I was like, that's random. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, yes, we've got a safe sleep space. But I really just didn't, you know, know anything about it and so it was kind of a blessing in disguise though because I think I just went with the flow a little bit but it wasn't until we hit that maybe that like three four month mark that I was like I am so tired I I was just exhausted you know because I I just was trying to be as responsive as possible but also like I was starting to think oh my gosh like is this is this normal? Like, is he waking too much? Is it, is it appropriate for this age? And I just had no idea. And then I was very lucky that a friend from my mother's group was like, Hey, you should check out this Facebook group. And it was the Beyond Sleep Training Project. And, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that like, once I read all the resources, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I get it now. You know, this is biologically appropriate. And then this will happen and this will happen. And then maybe this will happen, you know? So so that was kind of like the early days um, with my first. That's like the perfect kind of beginning to me in that, like even though you weren't sure you were able to follow your gut to get through that initial phase and then when the questions started creeping in, you had this person who was able to point you in the direction of our way to give you some support around some knowledge that you needed just to be able to continue to get on with what you needed to be able to do with your baby. So to me, that's like an amazing start to life. So tell us with your family set up and whatnot, how are you actually managing sleep by day and night at this stage? So my son is four and a half now. 
Um, so, at the, uh, so in the very beginning, he was he had his like little bassinet kind of cot next to our bedstead in our room, and I think I was so like uh, paranoid in a way about safe sleep that he did stay there until six months, and then we sort sort of did started bed sharing and and that was when things became so much easier for me because he was able to breastfeed easier and we could all get back to sleep a lot faster. Um, At the moment, I would say our setup is a bit of a musical bed (laughs) in that um, because we had my mum staying with us when he was first born, he didn't actually have his own space until I think he was about 10 months or a year where I was like, right, okay, let me set up a room for him. And so we then kind of transitioned into a floor bed, which um, just made sense for us at the time. And um, it was mostly me putting him to sleep, like feeding to sleep, and then I'd either fall asleep and stay there or, you know, I'd go back to my room and we'd have a little bit of back and forth. Um, In retrospect, you know, he's actually just, you know, pretty good with sleep like I think because I just didn't know um what was appropriate I was freaking out about it but now looking back on it I'm like oh yeah yeah, we actually had some decent stints there um and now it's kind of like because he's four and a half and um the second baby's on the way we have been the last few months practicing with him you know um going to sleep first it was dad putting him to sleep a few nights a week and that kind of started when he's he weaned off breastfeeding at about two and a half years old. Um, he's also very, he's a very, like his temperament is very relaxed. So he has had sleepovers with his grandparents and been fine. Um, but yeah, so he's got his room, he's got his space, his own bed. Um, sometimes it will be a case of good night, give him a kiss. He'll read his book a little bit, fall asleep. Other, other nights it will be me putting him to sleep or he'll say, mom, can I sleep with you tonight? Or dad, can I sleep with you tonight? Um, some nights he'll start off in his bed and then halfway through the night or in the early morning he'll come into bed with me or with us or you know so yeah it's a little bit like just people sleeping (laughs) wherever they feel comfortable that night which I think like I'm really glad about because um and and it suits his temperament he's very relaxed in that way so I'm really happy with that beautiful I love hearing and like the flexibility of it all too it doesn't need to be one way or another or hard and fast this or that you can actually just go with the flow on whatever is needed at that time depending on um, probably depends on how his day's been and what kind of needs he's got throughout the night as well even at the age of four and a half so I love hearing about that can I just I've just realized out of all the guests that we've had I've had a few people mention floor beds but I don't think we've ever gone into what is a floor bed? Why do people love using them? Why are they an option that families might like to consider? Yeah. So for us, I think um, it just kind of made sense. It was a little bit of a pragmatic decision because, like I said, we had the spare room. We had a double mattress. Um, and I was like, well, I can't really put him on a bed at like 10 months. Uh, I didn't really want to continue using the cot we actually ended up giving our cot away pretty early on to a friend who had a baby because I was like I know that we're going to be bed sharing you know so for me it was more of a pragmatic decision of like if I have this double mattress 
Um, and we all we did to make the floor bed really was nothing fancy. We just had some wooden Ikea slats on the floor and then the mattress on top and that was it. And just, you know, made sure that the, the space was safe in his room, that, you know, it, 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 there was a bit of a gap between the walls. It was in the centre of the room and followed all the safe sleep stuff around the firmness of the mattress and all of that. Um, yeah, it just made sense for me to be able to be like, okay, well, I can, I can comfortably bed share with him in his space, in his room. Um, and he's a pretty active sleeper. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, horizontal sleeping and star shapes and all of that. So, um, I kind of thought, well, if he's going to roll off and if he's going to fall off, it's like that high off the floor and he'll be fine versus, you know, if you were in a, in a cot or a toilet. Bed. So that was really why we went the floor bed route. And now I think it, it's been maybe about eight months. We've actually given him a bed frame. So it's just like a proper double bed that he sleeps on and it works for us because yeah, like I said, we're often sleeping. One of us is often sleeping with him there. So I think the floor beds are a great option for people who, um, who want that kind of flexibility, but also, they're, they're really easy to do. Like all you really need is a, is a mattress and what you've already got pretty much. Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be a double mattress. Double mattresses are great, uh, especially if you're you know, planning on actually being in there. But I know that we've previously used even just a single mattress because then the adult can still lay down. Like I used to love it when they were into that second year and you could you know, breastfeed to sleep and ninja roll out of there and <laughs> like no transfer because my babies were not very transferable people. Like they just, that movement was too much for them. But, you know, boob to sleep, ninja roll out, perfect. And like you say, it's yeah. like very minimal in terms of what you need to make the make it work. Um, so yeah, hopefully people listening along, if you hadn't considered a floor bed, it can be a great transition, um, option for your family. And like you said, eventually then you can transition into a bed with a frame, um, as they get older, if that's what's working for you. Um, but yeah, floor beds all the way, very handy tool. And I know even in our bedroom that that's what we also went with for our, our bed sharing setup in the main room yeah. as well. Yeah, it worked really well for us when we were traveling a little bit as well. So pre-global uh, pandemic, um, when my son was probably around that 10-month yeah, that 10-month period, we did go to Turkey and to Serbia to visit our family, to introduce him to the extended family. And in Turkey, actually, it's really the done thing to have these like floor mattresses, especially for children in the room with the parents. So that, that kind of made a lot of sense and it made it really easy. And absolutely, like you said, the ninja roll away, it's fantastic, especially when he had an earlier bedtime. Um, we have a bit of a European bedtime now. <laughs> it's kind of quite late. I think for most people, but when he, when he was going to bed at that, like, you know, between seven and 8 PM, I would be able to get out of there and, and as well. Yeah. He's not very transferable. I think I've only been able to transfer him once successfully, um, from car to like bed. That's Did you go and give yourself a massive high five for when it actually happened? I used to do that if it ever worked. <laughs> I was so annoyed that I was home by myself because we'd been somewhere. My husband was traveling for work. We, we'd been somewhere 
uh, at a friend's house and um, we drove home quite late. It was about 9 p.m. and I got him out of the car successfully, put him into the bed and just like covered him, like didn't even change him. But I was at home by myself. <laughs> couldn't, tell, couldn't tell anyone. I was just like, yay. <laughs> Do your own little happy dance. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Actually, one thing that I remember, my third little girl, she used to sometimes do the car to boob to bed transfer and oh man I feel like a rock star when I could pull that one off but you had to be quick she'd be unbuckled like you had to have the boob ready straight on the boob walking down the hall with her on the boob lay on the bed try not to unlatch her and then you'd occasionally get the win that was just like yes it was like oh I'm sure it's like winning a race not that I've ever won a race in my life but (laughs) it felt really good (laughs) yeah for sure so tell me, actually, we haven't talked about daytime. So with, with your mm-hmm. first babe, how did, I know obviously this would have changed a lot right from newborn through to now, but how did daytimes and naps and sleep look for you guys? Mm. So because we live in a townhouse, so we've got our, the bedrooms upstairs, but we spend most of our time downstairs in the living, open plan living. Um, in the very beginning, I actually had a porter cot set up downstairs and then he had his cot upstairs. So depending on what nap it was, he'd sleep in either one of those spots with me in the room or near him. Um, we did a lot of car naps at one point. I remember driving like forever Um I remember a lot of pram naps, walking naps um, when he was younger. Uh, when he kind of consolidated his naps into like one or two a day, it was a bit easier. He was a bit older by that time and uh, so it was mostly like upstairs in his in his floor bed that he had at that time. Um, but, yeah, I think the biggest kind of struggle I remember around the day naps was – Dropping from three to two naps was probably the hardest transition because it started getting to this like awkward time where he was fighting that third nap, but I was like, no, you still can't make it to bedtime with that. So that's where I think I did a lot of those car car or pram naps where we, we tried to just get him a little bit of extra rest. One of the other things that I do that was like quite, you know, drummed into me at the beginning was like, oh, you have to be in the same room for all naps at least for the first six months. So um, that was mainly kind of the thing that I was keeping in the back of my mind. But having that like little porticot set up downstairs just meant that we didn't have to keep going up and down the stairs and it just meant that like I could, you know, cook dinner or read a book. Who was reading books? <laughs> do whatever chores I had to do um, and still keep an eye on him and be around him and, and like I said, I think I, at the time I didn't realize how, how like chill that was for a baby to be able to do that with like the TV on and like us talking and walking or, and, and, you know, the dog. And, um, now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, wow, he really, he was really fine. And it was just my thing. Um, I think one of the, one of the kind of things that happened right before I found the group was um, we did have one day where he just did not nap, like he just did not want to nap. I could not for the life of me get him to have even a single nap. And he was very young. It was like three or four, he was three or four months old. And it was, I tried everything. I tried all my tricks, you know, I'd taken him for the pram walk. He didn't want to do that. I'd given him a bath. I'd 
you know, all of this rocking and uh, actually, yeah, that was another thing. He really enjoyed the movement. So there was a lot of rocking. I think it got to the point where he was like a year old and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even hold him anymore. This is a big boy. Um, but yeah, so we had that one day where he just wouldn't nap and then it rolled around to bedtime and he was like clearly like overtired and I was at my wits end because I was like, I'd worked myself up on not being able to get him to sleep. I was calling my husband. I was like, please come home from work. I don't know what to do. You know. Um, so my husband was like, all right, I'm on my way home. And he sent his parents over and, you know, with the best of intentions, I think that, um, they were trying to be really helpful, but, um, my husband's father is a, is a doctor, uh, an emergency doctor. And despite, I think the cultural upbringing of, you know, having babies quite close and in the same space, I think he'd also had the kind of standard Western education around infant sleep. So they were just kind of like, oh, you know, go downstairs, have your dinner and we'll put him to sleep. And I was like, oh, okay, like what like magical thing are you going to do that, you know, I couldn't figure out. But at that point I was just, I was exhausted. I was like, yeah, just please take him. And so, and then he was just crying and crying and crying. And I was just like, my anxiety was like rising and rising, being downstairs thinking, should I just go up? Should I not? Should I leave them? And then my husband came home and he was like, let me handle it. And he went upstairs and sort of managed to settle him and get him to sleep. Poor guy was probably so exhausted by this point. It was like 7.38 p.m. And so that was like really the only experience I had with someone or uh, saying, you know, this is how you should do You need to let them cry. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I actually didn't get any sleep that night because I was like furiously Googling like, is this healthy for kids? Cause it just didn't feel right to me, you know? And I was lucky in that I came up with, uh, I think there was like a psychology today article that I read first that I was like, you need to send this to your dad. Like you can't be recommending this. And, um, and then eventually like pretty much in the next couple of days found the group and, and such. But yeah, that was like an experience that I think, um, Sorry, I've kind of veered off the topic of the daytime night question, but that was the experience that kind of changed things for me and kind of solidified how I wanted to do things as well. And and then once I have, I was able to like read the resources on what's biologically normal and understand more the development. I was very much adamant from that point on that this was how we were going to do things. And my 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 husband's um, very much you know in support and and all that. So. So that really kind of put us on the course um, of how we dealt with sleep. Beautiful. I love that. It, you know, there's, there's often a bit of a turning point for people, but I'm glad that yours was like that brief moment in time and it was all you needed to be able to solidify that track for you moving forward. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit about what kind of preparations are you putting in to welcoming second baby this time around? Or what are you thinking is going to be the go for mm. your family? Well, um, the cot has made a return, <laughs> but, um, it's with the option of side carrying it to our bed, but I think I just want to see what she's like, because every kid is different. She'll have her own temperament and her own preferences. Um, she might not be the sort of baby who wants to bed share. Wouldn't that be wild? Um, <laughs> She they might, do exist. <laughs> she might enjoy her own space. Um, but for now we'll, we'll start off with the cot just like right next to 
our bed in, in our room and see how we go. I think the main thing for me as kind of is probably now becoming a little bit somatic in this interview is that I, my main learning has been to let go and go with the flow and, and really work on being more in tune with, with the baby, with the child, rather than um, having some kind of pre-planned or preconceived ideas of how I want things to be. So, so keeping our options open, um, out of necessity, she'll be in our room, I think, um, until we're able to move into a bigger place or there might be a, a point at which they're sharing a room or, you know, at this point, I think not much thought other than we'll just see how we go. The only things I have planned for more this time around is more carrier time um, with my son. I really didn't use the carrier much except for walks because we had that space and that time to be on the couch and breastfeed and go for pram walks and things like that. But now that, you know, there's a lot more to do with him as well in terms of kindy drop off and playing with him and, and whatnot, I think I'll just be using the carrier a lot more for naps as well as breastfeeding. Um, that's it. <laughs> Those are my plans to sleep. I think that sounds like a very sensible set of plans because it's got so much flexibility once again in there so that you've got room to get to know your new little love and and work out what's going to actually suit you all. And I love that, like, this is the thing, I guess, once you had second and third and however many babies after that, there's all of the logistical considerations for your older babes as well as as their emotional needs and whatnot that you need to consider for the family as well. Um, and I'm curious about you though, what sorts of like for your postpartum this time round, what sorts of things have you put in place to try and support you in your postpartum? Yeah. So, you know, um, it's a thing of beauty when you've been through it once that you're like, okay, now I kind of have a bit of an idea of what it might be like. Um, so my mum will be once again, staying with us to help with, um, the logistics of the household, I suppose, and of course be a grandma and, you know, spend time with, with my son and with the newborn. Um, I think for me, one thing that I really didn't realize the first time around was that I actually had pretty, pretty bad postnatal anxiety. I think at the time I wrote it off as, oh, this is a normal amount of worry. Um, and, and looking back on it, I was like, oh, actually, Maybe not so much. Like maybe not everybody thinks about what if I take my baby out for a walk in the pram and a tree branch falls on us. Maybe that's not, you know. So I think a lot of the work that I've been doing um, in the last couple of years as well has been more on my mental health um, and that's something that I um, I can kind of keep uh, an eye out on now when my anxiety levels get, you know, if they get too high, what what to do and, and have that support system in place I think is really important. Um I also now know a lot more about, you know, like breastfeeding and all of this stuff. So I'm not, I think I'm just not going to spend so much time like Googling random things uh, and, and have more of a security within myself. So from like a practical point of view, I guess, you know, having that family support system and um, of course my husband as well as my mom and um, other family and friends. Um, but from like a taking care of myself point of view, for me, it's mainly my mental health that I need to be aware of. And then 
um, I was planning on like cooking some freezer meals and doing all of that jazz, but I probably won't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It might come across in the next few weeks to just see. That's so great. I am pleased to hear you mention that too, because it's sort of that I guess that's the beauty of getting to do it again, isn't it? You've got the heads up, like even even though you know it's going to be different again, you, it's still not that same fresh, completely new experience. Like your body has been postpartum before, so all of those feels aren't going to be so raw this time around. They're, they're going to have that tinge of familiarity because it's that second time. So I think it's great that you can tap into the things that you could see from previously, take them forward to have a bit of a plan. And I'm so pleased you've got some family support around you because honestly, postpartum without family support, and I know so many people during the pandemic have had to do it all alone. It's never meant to have been that way. So to anyone listening along, if that was you and you found it brutal, that is fair enough. It was always meant to be the case that you were meant to be nurtured as well as your baby being nurtured. Um, and so I'm so pleased to hear that coming out this side of the pandemic, you're going to have the nurturing that you need and deserve at this time, Andrea. Now I'm looking at the time and we're nearly up to our 30 minutes already. Um, to finish off the episode though, is there any tips or, or pearls of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners that you wish you'd been able to hear back in the thick of it all? I think for anyone who's similar to me and maybe is like, you know, hyper independent. And, you know, before you have your first child, I think you are so used to being in control of your life uh, when you sleep, when you eat, what you want to do with your spare time, you know, Um, that's a big adjustment for first time parents. I think being gentle with yourself and ask for help. Um, That is my main piece of advice to all of my friends who have you know, since had kids. Um, and, and even with the ones that I can tell that they don't necessarily feel comfortable asking for help now, knowing what I know, I'll just, I'll just go and do it. You know, I'll just go, Hey, dropping off some food to you. You know, you don't need to entertain me or whatever. I'm just here. I'm just giving, you know, making your life a little bit easier. Um, asking for help really. Um, I know it's difficult, like obviously, and I, and I sincerely hope we don't have to go through another lockdown um again because I can only imagine like you said how brutal that would be for new parents new mums and and dads um but asking for help I think asking for finding those resources and and at the end of the day you know some of the friend friendships I have to say they're real friendships that I've managed to form through the online the beautiful online community that you've created Carly have seen me through a lot of some hard times, you know, um, and they've been such wonderful sources of support for me. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be in person, face to face. You can always find those people. You can always find people whose values align with yours that, and they can provide that help. But I think the first step is just recognizing that, like you said, you know, you can't do it all yourself and you were never meant to. And I think, um, we often forget that in a lot of aspects of our life. And, and, but this is one where I think you can definitely ask, Absolutely. And there's so many benefits to the people who get to do the helping as well. I think that's the thing. Like sometimes I know I used to feel like like I was going to burden someone else, but actually, I don't know about you, but when I'm helping someone, I actually feel good too. It actually, it's a, it's a boost to the person doing the helping. So to allow someone to be a part of that for you is a really special 
relationship to have with another human and not one to be missing out on just because you believed that you should have been doing this all on your own when you absolutely should not. It's um, We are meant to be social creatures and at this vulnerable time in your life when you're trying to bring what you are, you've brought new life into the world, let the nurturers nurture you as well as you nurturing your baby. So thank you so much for coming on, Andrea. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your story. Thank you so much for inviting me. I um, absolutely love talking about this stuff. So it's been, uh, it's been fantastic. Thanks, Carly. Awesome. And I, I get the feeling like in, an, in maybe a couple of seasons time when you're through the other side of your journey with baby number two, I'll have to get you on for a, a rerun and just see how things actually panned out because who even knows at this point, but I hope everything goes really smoothly as you welcome your new little person. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.